0: Hey, agency owners, as someone that's run Google ads for my own business, as well as on behalf of my clients, I know how time consuming it can be to constantly be monitoring and optimizing those ads. I've got good news for you. There's a new tool called Optio that monitors your accounts for statistically significant patterns and suggests improvements that can push live to Google ads in just a few seconds. Improvements help you manage keywords, test ads, and optimize bids. Get your time back. Let the machines do the heavy lifting. Check out optio.com uGurus and get started with a six-week extended free trial. That's optio.com slash uGurus. Hey, what's up podcast listeners, digital agency owners, welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today I'm hanging out with Tommy Griffith, who has been doing search engine optimization for more than 10 years. He was previously managing SEO at PayPal and Airbnb, to name a couple of big brands there, and now runs ClickMinded, a digital marketing training platform for marketers and entrepreneurs. Tommy, welcome to the program.
1: Brent, what's going on? Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about uh, what what Clickminded is. That's your business today. So, so what's the business that you're running today?
1: Yeah. So Clickminded is a digital marketing training platform for marketers and entrepreneurs. We teach uh, entrepreneurs, in-house marketers, and consultants or agencies uh, how to how to do digital marketing. A lot of people use us to train up teams or entry level employees. Or to train up uh, specialists that are particularly good. at One thing that maybe they want to jump to, to another thing.
0: How did you get your start in that whole thing? Like, what about SEO or marketing? Kind of first interest to you? What was your your first you know step into this space?
1: Yeah. So I think one of my favorite questions to ask digital marketers uh, is how they got into the game because everyone's so weird. <laughs> like no Go one on. has like. You know what I mean? Like no one has a normal story. Everyone sort of falls into it in a in a very strange way. And uh and and mine wasn't was uh was no different. So I yeah, I graduated uh university right at the height of the recession. I thought I was going to work at a bank. Uh and that didn't work out and I ended up my whole story started by reading uh Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Did you ever read that book? I have. Yeah, so I think a lot of digital marketers are familiar with this, but for any anyone listening any any of the uninitiated, for our work week was kind of the catalyst for a lot of remote businesses, a lot of internet businesses. It was written in 2007 or maybe 2008, and it's probably a little bit dated now, but the general ideas around it are still pretty good, which was yeah, you could you can tra- you can build a business while traveling, you can build a business and have a remote team uh, you can do a lot of things kind of from your laptop sort of thing. And, uh, at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Couldn't find, couldn't find a job. And one of the things Tim Ferriss recommends in this book is to create an info product. His basic premise was if you manufacture a physical product, it, it inevitably gets copied. But if you have a particular type of knowledge that other people don't have, that might be valuable. And I had this extremely dorky set of knowledge. In it, in college, a bunch of friends of mine and I started a fraternity. <laughs> okay. You, you hear a lot of people that are in fraternities, but not as many
0: people that started a fraternity.
1: Yeah. So we started a fraternity. It kind of started as a joke. And then by the time we graduated, there was like 100 guys in it. And it became a real thing. So after reading For Our Work Week, I was thinking about like, what, what's some weird set of knowledge I have that not as many people have? And it turned out, I used the Google AdWords keyword planner, and it turned out 1,500 people a month were searching for how to start a fraternity. <laughs> and so I wrote this extremely dorky 60 something page ebook on how to start a fraternity. And, uh, and I said, okay, I have to figure out how to get this to the top of Google for that, that term. That sort of, sort of started me down the, the SEO road. I started selling the book for $10, nobody bought it. I dropped the price to $5. Nobody bought it. And then I increased the price to $47 and 250 people ended up buying it.
0: That is So, I mean, that's like pricing, like psychology of, you know, oh, it's 10 bucks. There's probably nothing in this thing that's worthwhile.
1: Right. But all all of a sudden $47. Now, now we've got a product. Exactly. It was my first sort of this weird combination of like making a product, figuring out SEO, um, figuring out how to position it, pricing. It was kind of like, you know, entrepreneur by trial, entrepreneur baptism by fire sort of thing, like all within a couple of weeks. So that but, ended up I mean, working.
0: I, I mean, I think that that like, you know, this, you, this inroad to SEO is so interesting just because, I mean to, to be able to identify a problem in the marketplace and, and then just be able to reverse engineer, like the, the searches per month to see that there's this, this opportunity. I mean, that's just so like the fundamental, like value proposition of SEO, right. Is like, look for what's already being searched for, create a product or match up products or optimize your current products
1: to make that happen. And then just, you know, like let the traffic flow through to you. Exactly, and I I could talk about keyword research all day because I still think it is it is the most underrated aspect of digital marketing because keyword research the way people query things in search engines is a proxy for demand right it's a proxy for even non internet things right this is how I mean this is how Google now Google Trends data is able to predict flu outbreaks before they happen based on people typing typing symptoms into Google it's just a It's like a weird, interesting overlay of human behavior. And it can direct you... It's just a nice quantitative way to direct you... To push you in the right direction, I didn't know that at the time. At the time, I was just like an idiot, twenty-two year old. Like, how can I sell my ebook, right? (laughs) But at the time,
0: but and 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 you were really tapping into like the power of the universe. I mean, that's really what this comes down to. (laughs) How to start a fraternity, really understanding the truth of how the world works, right?
1: Exactly. Writing a dorky sixty-page book, really, but actually, I'm trying to control the weather, right? (laughs) So so you got some some
0: sales, and that obviously, you know, I mean, I imagine I'm just picturing myself. In college, like all of a sudden, two hundred fifty orders come in at fifty bucks a piece. I'm going, okay, what? What is this?
1: Yeah, so so that was that was the sort of start of being interested. And in I was like, wait, what? Why would I ever go work in a bank? I want to do stuff like this. And so um, so a, I, I went. I became an English teacher. Was traveling overseas uh, while the recession was starting, and was 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 teaching English and kind of scheming on the next idea. And a friend of mine and I started a business after university that failed miserably. I was one of these guys who... I was very blessed and my parents paid for college. I graduated university with no debt. And I ended up putting myself into debt trying to start this new business idea. A friend of mine and I started... (laughs) You're going to laugh at me. But we started a medical tourism facilitation company. The The basic idea... This would have been 2009. And the basic idea was there's a number of countries and specific hospitals overseas... That uh, that offer specific procedures and surgeries that are much, much cheaper than they are in the US. This is kind of, don't want to get too political here about healthcare in the US and how, what a mess it is, but this is kind of pre Obamacare healthcare reform. And uh, there's still specific surgeries that are much less expensive overseas. We started a, a, a company in Taiwan that was focusing specifically on U.S. baby boomers age 45 to 65 that were looking for knee and hip replacement surgery (laughs) in Taiwan. And the basic idea was if you're looking for these particular procedures, you're not going to waltz down to your local library and open up an encyclopedia on it. You're just going to Google it. And so we were trying to rank for keywords like knee replacement cost and knee replacement alternatives and this kind of stuff. The actual business was horrible. It was it, we did I did everything you could imagine wrong. We did so many things wrong. I was in so far over my head, didn't know anything about the market, didn't know what I was doing at all. But I guess the one upside to all this was I learned SEO and paid ads. So I spent about a year on it and at that point ran out of money, gave up data call and asked for the $400 bailout for the one way ticket home and kind of <laughs> <laughs> came home. Between my legs, like, you know, head down, like, who hey, mom, who hey, dad, <laughs> remember me? Like, is there room on the couch, right? Can yeah. I?
0: <laughs> Was that a, I- a viable? I mean, I'm just kind of curious in your early entrepreneur time i mean obviously you you guys ran this into the ground somewhat gracefully it sounds like uh (laughs) what was it that that kind of business model was just not a good it was not a good market or offering or are other people successful with that or was it really just like in how you guys approached the the that business like did it fail because of that business just fails or was it because you guys just kind of didn't know what you were doing
1: man, we could do if you want to do another whole podcast episode <laughs> about how dumb I am that'd be we could do that <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so it's interesting. The actual medical tourism industry is a big industry it's mm. it's kind of working and like it, you can cut it up a lot of different ways. The smartest way that it seems to work is when hospitals basically develop an arm of it themselves internally, like they kind oh, of bring true. in foreigners into their into their house and do like a foreign marketing arm. Um, in hindsight, yeah, the single biggest mistake we made was um, we, we thought that we needed to be like every step of the process. And mm. we were actually going to facilitate the users like from end to end. And it, a way, way, way better idea in hindsight, of course, this is now almost 10 years later, would be to be a lead generation company. Because <laughs> to, to, we were getting leads, we were getting traffic, we were getting Americans interested in these procedures on the phone. And then you should have just
0: sold those to the hospitals
1: or whatever. Exactly, exactly. If we had just put a fifty or hundred dollar LTV on each one of them and said, "Here you go, hospitals," um, that would have been so much easier. But I remember the moment when I knew I was in—I was in deep. I was, you know, because I was on the other side of the world working uh, U.S. hours, and so a lot of times I was up until five in the morning, and I was in my room um, on Skype with a sixty-something-year-old woman from Illinois (laughs) in my in my underwear. I'm 22 (laughs) years old. And I'm talking to this woman about the possible implications of deep vein thrombosis with with her husband. And I remember hanging up the phone and just being like, what am I doing? Like, (laughs) I am so far over my head. I don't know what I'm talking about. This is bad. This is is not good. And so um, we ended up shutting it down and I ended up coming home.
0: I mean, that's a that's such a powerful lesson, though, of kind of stick to your knitting. If, if there's a part of what you're doing that is successful and then there's a part of what you're doing that's, you know, kind of outside of your zone of genius, I mean, the faster you can get rid of that stuff, which maybe it sounds scary, like, oh, man, we, have this, we had this initial idea that we were going to take care of everything, but really this one thing is the only thing that we really feel comfortable with. You know, how can we figure out how to scale that? And I feel like agency owners every day are faced with this problem. I mean, I, I hear it with, you know, we want to be a full service agency we want to do. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like you guys do literally everything that the client could potentially ask for? Yes. Right. And it's like, man, like, wouldn't it be a lot easier? if <laughs> You did like one to three things extraordinarily well. And, and I think that that for lesson, sure you know, Tommy is, uh, I mean, it's powerful, right? I mean, obviously you kind of, maybe you figured that out. It was a, it was a expensive lesson for you guys to figure out, but you know, uh, thanks, f- thanks f- focus the on the work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. We can, we'll have that episode like Tommy's failures. Uh, well that'll be next season. Right. Um, so, so you, you obviously went home and now it was, now it was time for the next thing. So what, how did you recover?
1: Yeah. So it ended up being, um, a, a really interesting mix of just kind of luck and and right place, right time. But but PayPal was hiring an SEO manager for emerging markets, someone who um, could focus on kind of non English SEO. And it was this bizarre story. I was running out of money. I was uh, grumpy. It was was my my co founder and friend and I were like miserable with each other because things weren't working. And I came home, tail between my legs, didn't know what to do. And then within a month. I'd moved out to San Francisco and was was working uh, was managing SEO at PayPal, one of the biggest websites in the world. I was 24 years old, and just like the transition happened so fast, that ended up kicking off the next phase of my my career. I, I just spent two years managing search engine optimization at PayPal and four years managing search engine optimization at Airbnb. And on the side at PayPal, you know, I I'd, I'd put myself in all this debt um, from the first business attempt, and so I started to. Try and scheme while, while working on a number of different side projects to get this going. Click Minded was that one that ended up working. I'm full time on it now. I've been full time on it for for two years, but the, the actual business is actually eight years old now at, the, at this point. And it's interesting because Click Minded was not like this instant aha moment. It was probably idea number 15. You know, I tried a lot of different things. And back to your point earlier, Brent, around, uh, you know figuring out what you want to do and and doing it well especially with agency owners man there's so much opportunity for for scope creep and for clients offering up revenue for stuff that you're very mediocre at right and uh it's so hard to say no to it but uh it it really is a secret power to be able to say no to stuff that that uh that you're not amazing at And for me, it was the it was the exact same way because I had, I had this situation where you know I had this debt I had caused for myself, and I I wanted to get out of it fast, and I was trying a bunch of different ideas, and I found that being invested and passionate and interested in the idea is so much more important than people give it credit for. So I think one example, like one of these ideas I had, I I had an, an idea for an iPhone app development lead generation site. Right, so this was 2011 and I was in San Francisco. iOS development was really starting to take off. Everyone wanted to start learning Xcode and create their own apps. Big companies that didn't already have an iOS app, they wanted them. And so the basic idea was um I'm going to get a site ranking for, you know, iPhone app development companies and iOS development cost and iPhone app developers and things like that and then maybe sell the leads. Like learn from my my old mistake. What ended up happening was, you know, I got the set up and running and ranking and was generating traffic and it started to generate leads and everything was going well, but I just hated it. Like I I I I just had no interest in it. And it was super hard to wake up on Saturday mornings and and work on it. I just I was I I hated it. I, I wasn't interested in it. And there's this. You know my my business now, it started as a, a physical in-person SEO course. I would rent out a co-working space on the weekends and um and physically teach SEO classes like a uh, I, I, uh, you know classes would be one to five people. would be kind of all day Saturday, all you can SEO. go nine to five, just you know nerding out with entrepreneurs and marketers on their sites and trying to figure out how to get them more traffic. That specific business was actually not a great business. It wasn't, it wasn't generating a lot of revenue. It wasn't really working. But I loved it. And I, I, I really... Um, I'm a huge SEO nerd. I played a lot of computer games as a kid. And I feel like SEO has replaced my computer games. Right. Like I love watching rankings go up and I love watching traffic go up. And I also love to teach. And uh, it was just one of these businesses that I really enjoyed doing. Uh, even though the revenue wasn't, wasn't there, the actual economics of the business didn't make a ton of sense it ended up just being the right place, right time with this online course kind of renaissance that we're in now. It's it's really easy to create an online course now, but it was not as straightforward in 2012. And so i had been working on this you know, idea number 15, which is physically teaching in-person SEO courses. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Udemy, that they're, they're an online course marketplace. Sure. And I ended up, yeah, getting my course up on Udemy back in 2012. And from there it took off. So it became an online product from there and it's grown and grown and grown and grown. Within three years, it ended up surpassing my salary at Airbnb. And then um, now two years ago uh, I we went full I went full time on it and we've expanded to uh, to seven different courses. But I think that, that that root sort of cause around figuring out where you're like where your magic pixie dust is, where you're where you're <laughs> where you're uh, <laughs> Well I imagine too
0: un- if it's a side hustle like you're replacing whatever it is normal people do on the weekends with with like a business. So I feel like actually enjoying that time probably is a a strong pre, prereq because it's not like you're, you're it's like you're you're escaping to this thing from your PayPal job or whatever. I'm not not escaping, but you know it's it's like your hobby. And I don't know about you, but I probably prefer not to have hobbies that suck the the the, the life out of my soul right like I'd, I'd rather have hobbies that are like rejuvenating so that when you show them back up for work on monday you're you're good to go so i mean i do think that's i mean i think it's valid for a side hustle or not but definitely i think you know if you're going to do a side hustle it it does feel like it should be something that you're you're passionate about and and you also have the security of your main job so you know like Right, You know, it's a good time to experiment on something that's maybe a little bit higher risk, but, uh, but, but it is, a, is in alignment with what you want to do long term. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Are you a web agency or freelance web designer that's trying to add recurring revenue profits by offering your clients SEO services? Well, I've got good news for you. There's a new service that is basically the design pickle for white label SEO. Their team hooks you up with unlimited SEO tasks for one monthly fee you got to check them out at seobrothers.co forward slash uGurus. They're giving our listeners 50% off their first month and an awesome money back guarantee. That's seobrothers.co forward slash uGurus. All right, let's get back to our interview. What was how, how did that work for you as at a side hustle at like a major major company? I mean, is that something that's common? Did you guys have like uh, conversations over the water cooler about what everybody was doing uh, on the side from PayPal and Airbnb? Like, is that a, is that a common thing at those types of companies,
1: or are some people just 100% focused on their their main job? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, uh, and it really actually differs. I've looked into this a lot because a lot of people have questions about it. It differs a lot state to state and country to country, and uh, and and even company to company. Um, in the Bay Area and in California, there's there's a lot more of it going on, I think, than even in New York. There's there they're much. They seem to be much more strict about kind of side projects legally in the state, but it usually just comes down to your manager and the and the executive sort of thing. Airbnb was one of these companies that was just so cool about this kind of stuff. In fact, they even produced a little a little book of everyone's side projects and like the things they were working on. Now, there's a it's not that I'm talking about it like it's this, you know, free-spirited everyone's hippies and just doing whatever. It's really not like there's everyone's a top performer and the, the recruiting team was like incredible and so everyone was was getting their their everyday work done for sure. And the side project always had to be second place. But uh, but it w- people were very open about it. In fact, I part of the what helped the side project grow so much was I used it at work every day. So anyone who... Uh, the data scientists and engineers and designers that joined my team, my SEO team at Airbnb that joined the growth team, they would go through the course. I would have them take it. And so Airbnb... <laughs> I didn't charge Airbnb, but... Uh, of right. course, but Airbnb was, was a client in that sense. We were is there anything that
0: you, you if, if somebody's in that situation that, that you need to be conscious of with that? Because I feel like it's, you know, is this something that, you know, Tommy invented on his own time or is this something that Tommy invented with like, he, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, who owns it, right? I mean, are there anything like that that you had to put into place to say like, this is my thing that I'm doing on the side and I'm using it at work or is it, you know, was it a non-issue?
1: Yeah, so um, there legally there are a bunch of things you should check off. The technically, if you're developing, and I um, I'm not a lawyer, this is not legal advice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but if you're, I believe the rules are, and they depend, they differ state to state. If you're developing a product on company property, like on a company laptop or something like that during company time, the company can make a claim that they own that. And so, I you have to make sure there's pretty clear boundaries around not using company equipment to do it, and that you're not on company time. But I've never seen, anecdotally, I've never seen it really come down to that. Like, you know, maybe if there's these like crazy outlier cases, like you know, you're you're building. you're building like a GitHub inside while working for Oracle or something like that, right? Like these, these like crazy outliers. But for the vast majority of it, I just emailed, like at PayPal, I emailed, I told my manager about it. I said, Hey, I want to start doing this. And I emailed the legal department and said, Like, hey, I was like really nervous about it. And I wrote, I rethought the email I was gonna send to the legal department for like weeks and like wrote it and rewrote it and wrote it and rewrote it. It's just like a one or two paragraph email. And they wrote back in five minutes, and they're like, "Okay, sounds cool, like, no big deal." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's not. I mean, it's interesting too because when people do this stuff, they always talk about their side project like they're being traitorous, right? Like they're backstabbing the company. And I mean, my my non-legal anecdotal advice is like, you know, don't build a competitor product in the company you work for. But but uh, the vast majority of people don't care as long as you're just open about it and getting your other work done most people don't seem to care. So it was never a big deal for me. It actually made my life a lot easier. I gave everyone at Airbnb access to something that we were charging, you know, hundreds of dollars for to other people. And so, um, everyone was, was totally cool about it. And it was, it was a not open secret at all, or a, 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 it was not a secret at all, I guess I could say.
0: Yeah. So, so making sure that you disclose that to your employer, obviously to not have some kind of conflict down the road. W- w- logistically though, um, when you're doing a side project like this, is it something that you are just? It's literally nights and weekends. I mean, you hear that saying of like, "Oh, this is this is my nights and weekends." I, I mean, were you, you know, were you foregoing multiple years of your nights and weekends, or did you develop some kind of system of how you, you know, kept a little bit of balance between your uh, obviously main kind of high stress job? I mean, I imagine working for PayPal and Airbnb, two very fast growth, you know, competitive companies. Uh, you know how how did you keep that balance between the main job and the side job, but also also balancing like having some sort of life outside of uh,
1: just working all the time? Are you are you trying to ask why I couldn't get a girlfriend? Grant? Is that what's going on? <laughs> like, well,
0: is that is that the sacrifice, right? You know, is that is that the sacrifice of saying, hey, for if I'm going to do a side hustle for the next two years, you know, the sacrifice I'm going to make is not having these other things like friends or whatever.
1: Yes. This is this is a great point. And you're right. There was a ton of sacrifice. There was uh, you know, foregoing a lot of friend engagement sort of things and having an angry girlfriend for a while. I mean that like the it's really interesting because I was in this position where I was kept trying so many different things. And so much of the motivation was my own misery and my own debt that I'd put myself into, right? I think being miserable and in debt is one of the single greatest forces in human nature. <laughs> like it is, it will get you out of bed in the morning. That is for sure. But yeah, it was really interesting because um, I, I did, I had to make some, some choices and I ended up, you know, this is a little embarrassing, but like I ended up uh, saying no to a lot of things. And to be honest, I would lie a lot. I would, you know, friends would say, Oh, we're going to this. We're going to that. It's parking the picnic. It's my one-year-old's birthday. It's a, it's this and it's that. And I would lie. And, uh, <laughs> I, how, how many of your friends are digital agency owners? I'm not sure if they're, are, are they listening right now or yeah, are they're we... Probably like, oh, they're this jerk? I knew it. He was lying the whole time, but it's interesting because, you know, this is a really dorky way to think about this, but like, if you want, I don't know if this is like Einstein or Tony Robbins or who, but they, but it really resonated with me, which was, uh, if you want these extraordinary outputs, you need these extraordinary inputs. And you need to do stuff that's a little weird, that's a little crazy. And so I was working on this thing for a long time. I really enjoyed it. But I would relentlessly say no to social defaults, right? No to birthdays, no to a lot of these other things, and it's it was interesting because once it started to work, I'd be talking to friends, you know, out at the bar or whatever, at a party, and they'd be like, "Oh, that's so amazing, you're doing that. That's so great. Um, I want to do that too. I'm gonna do that one day. I can't wait to do that one day." And then the next time you see them, they're like blacked out at the bar, right? Or <laughs> like they're like you know smoking in the park and, and eating. Brownies or something like that, and (laughs) like the the inputs never never really met up with the with the outputs, right? And so I just sort of had to make that choice, and I especially because for me, like I'm kind of a loud, uh, you know, sort of um, extroverted type, and so when I don't show up to things, it's just a little obvious Mm. that I'm not there, and it ended up I ended up annoying a lot of my a lot of my friends. But it just ended up being this choice I had to make. You know, like the really close friends, they kind of understood it, and there was no impact. But you know, those like sort of halfway friends, where you see them every every now and again, they're, they're like, you know, uh, I don't want to say second tier, but like they're friends. You're not like you know divulging all of your all of your deepest hopes and dreams to. A lot of them fall off. They they fall away. And actually, one other interesting thing around that, Brent, that I, that I don't, I think a lot of people don't talk about, I was in this situation where I'd moved to a new city to do this new job, and I didn't have a big social network. I ended up uh, growing one. I, I had a bunch of roommates and friends and friends from work and people I'd met out playing sports and things like that. But I still wasn't super connected to everyone. And I found that you know a lot of my roommates and some of the people I met, they'd all went to university nearby in San Francisco and they all kind of moved to the city together. And so it's this big group of like 50 or 100 people that kind of had known each other for like 5 or 6 years. And what I found, which is absolutely fascinating, I don't understand how from a human behavior level why this is, but people don't let each other change. And it's not necessarily malicious, but for whatever reason, people kind of hold each other... Back, and I think it's something to do with the way we recognize patterns or something like that. But but I, what I what I noticed with this group of friends was it'd be little things like oh cool, new haircut it looks stupid or like oh you know <laughs> new shoes like those are dumb. And it's not necessarily like I'm trying to hold you back, but it's this weird thing around you have expectations for people and you you expect them to continue to do those things, and when that happens, it's really hard to. To build something new, to try something new, to try a side project, to try and change who you are, and so I had this built-in advantage where, because my ties to the people I was in in the city I was and weren't as strong, it was a little bit easier to go into like hermit cave mode and work on the side project. So if you're if you're listening to this show and you're trying to think about like the next phase of your business or um, the next thing you want to work on. Think about changing up your environment in a way where you're not surrounded by people who have known you for 10 years. Because I found that even though it's an unintentional, family members and long-term friends, they can accidentally keep you from, from changing.
0: Mm, that's super insightful. I've got one more question uh, b- before we go into our uh, our lightning round uh, around this side side project, and, and I know we haven't spent a huge amount of time on our, our episode today uh, uh, talking about SEO. We might have to have a, a, sec- a second, more tactical driven session with you, Tommy. But um, if you, when did you decide it was time to to make the leap? Because I know many in our audience are doing their agency as a freelance business, as a side hustle. I mean, obviously, you know, some people think in your case, you're building a, uh, you know, this uh, content and training product, info product business. Um, but for a lot of our folks, I mean, so, some of them, right, some of the audiences, is, is they are, they're side hustling with their agency. And even some of our agencies are side hustling with uh, their own kind of pet project or something like that, right? And, and there's this kind of moment that you had to say, look, it's time to go from, you know, Airbnb to the side hustle full time was it just purely a monetary, you know, uh, economic thing, or were you, you know, were there other factors at play for you in terms of when when to make that leap?
1: Yeah, this is this is a really good question. I wrestled this with this one a lot. I and I was in this situation where I was not at a company that I hated and was like desperately trying to get out, which I know a lot of people are in that situation. Yeah, a lot of people do this with the with the, the standard sort of Excel document uh, formula that you just in, uh, referred to. Like, okay, I'm making X number of dollars now. I need Y number of dollars to live. My side project is at Z number of dollars. Like, where where's the, the breaking point? Right. Uh, for me, it was different because I just had a couple, a lot of other sort of personal things going on. Like, I really liked my job at, at Airbnb. I, I felt unaccomplished there as well. When I my my first year into the job. The side project had surpassed my salary, but uh, but I still felt unaccomplished. and so I, I, I still wanted to do a bunch of things there. And it was just a weird time to be there. You know, the, the first week I joined Airbnb, we were subpoenaed by the state of New York for our data. And the last week I was there, I worked on a Super Bowl ad, and Beyonce had stayed in an Airbnb. You know what I mean? like, you know, no one, none of my friends had heard of it when I joined, and everyone had heard of it by the time I left um it was 100 something employees when i joined it was 2000 something employees when i left it was just kind of a wild time to to be there and also you know i had other stuff going around around like along at the time and i i was also the wounds were fresh from the from the old business as well i i knew how bad it could go yeah. <laughs> right and i also had this you know i didn't realize i was doing this at the time but the uh, an entrepreneur wrote about this recently that really clicked with me. And I had accidentally been building a lot of what he called exit velocity. This guy, Dan Andrews, um, who has a a podcast on internet businesses, he coined this term called exit velocity. I have the definition right here as well. Um, It says, I'm just pulling it up now. It says exit velocity, the amount of professional and entrepreneurial momentum you have when quitting your job and starting a new venture. Momentum can come from a variety of sources, investment, investment, capital, experience, anchor clients, industry knowledge, and connections, aka unfair advantage. So this is like a concept that I think in hindsight was was really powerful for me. My first business was really dumb. I tried to get into the medical space. I had no experience in it. I had no interest in it. I had no connections in it. Surprise, surprise, it didn't work, right? Now, with Airbnb, I was managing search engine optimization at, and with PayPal and Airbnb, I was managing search engine optimization at two of the biggest websites in the world. And then on the side, I was teaching SEO. And then I was taking that product I was using and I was using it at work. I was using the branding from those two companies to sort of like help promote myself. And so this was all exit velocity. Like as I was working on this business, I was sort of compounding these advantages while someone else was still paying my salary. And so by the time I left the second time around, I had the deck so stacked in my favor, I had so many unfair advantages that it kind of made it inevitable that that it had to work. So um, I do think if, if anyone who's listening who has a side project now, or if their agency is a side project, or if they're incubating a different idea within their agency, one thing to think about is where... You know, think about your the current job you're doing today where you're getting paid for something, and where can you compound a lot of those things into what your next idea is? There's funny like non-examples of this, like you know, the lawyer, they go to law school, they practice law for 20 years, and then their side project is they want to go sell CrossFit jump ropes, right? <laughs> and so, like, okay, if they really love CrossFit, sure, that's fine, but they have no advantages there right they've been working for 20 years on something else and then they're starting with a, at, a, at a at like a, a starting stop with no advantages and no running start and it's it's way harder right most startups startups are hard most startups fail most businesses die and so if you don't take every unfair advantage you can get you can be in a lot of trouble so for me the the breaking point was exit velocity was it wasn't the excel sheet formula it wasn't the money it was like have I gotten as much out of this as possible to benefit the side project where it's time to go? And at that point, that's when I ended up uh, pulling the trigger.
0: Well, congrats on successfully uh, achieving your exit velocity, exiting those companies, also exiting uh, uh, into the, the, you know, the next stratosphere with your business, making it something where it, it can support you full time and also uh, your team of five. So congrats on that. And, uh, Tommy, thank you for, for us running through this today. This has been super helpful. I think we spent a lot of time on on kind of your, your uh, uh, you know, Genesis story along with, you know, the side project. We probably should have you uh, back to talk a little bit more about SEO, maybe sometime in the future uh, for <laughs> our listeners. But uh, this has been fantastic. Are you ready for our lightning round? I'm ready. Let's do it. All
1: right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Ooh. Work on – it was from yeah, – I received it via Twitter. (laughs) Naval Ravikant, this like venture capitalist, he said, "Uh, your work should be work to other people and feel like play to you. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Waking up early. I wake up at five every day. Nice.
0: Share an internet resource tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? My single
1: favorite SEO tool is Ahrefs. What book would you recommend and why? Sapiens. Because it made me come to the realization that uh, nothing matters, and that we are monkeys on a rock in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I'm a big fan of that book. That was a that was definitely a, a,
0: a shift for me. For, you know, uh, lots of nuggets in that book. I highly recommend for sure. that for our for sure. our audience. Yeah. Yeah, so if you guys want to check out the, the app, the book recommendation, the, uh, some takeaways from the episode, check it out at our show notes, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this, the week is released. Tommy's episode will be that first one right there at the banner. Click on that. Check out our show notes. Lots of great info and links. If you're on a run, if you're in the car, definitely check that out, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Tommy, how can our audience find out more about you?
1: Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, we're at clickminded.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Tommy Griffith. And we just released these eight bit retro looking digital marketing and SEO strategy guides. So if you ever played Nintendo or Super Nintendo in the nineties and you're into kind of the eight bit animation, we have these like introductory guides that are designed, uh, designed in eight bit style. Those are free at clickminded.com.
0: Very cool. Well, we will link out to clickminder.com uh, and all the other great resources that you provided us today on our show notes page, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Tommy, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Brent, this is awesome.
1: Thanks for having me on the show.
0: And that is it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming at you to help you achieve freedom in your business and life. Until then, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode.